You're listening to the Bootstrap SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Lukas Hermann from StageTimer.io. Lukas, super happy to have you. Yeah, hey, hey, nice, nice to be here. Cool. So to get this out of the way, let's dive into like what problem does StageTimer.io actually solve for your customers? Right, so we're yeah, jumping right in. Um, so, so my product is, is kind of interesting. Uh, let, let me like... Um, contrast it to what many others do, right? So because I'm active on Twitter, I see what other people do uh, in, in the SaaS space. And many people do like Twitter tools, a bit more unpopular now with the uh, expensive API, um, but they do like like growth tools. They basically kind of do SaaS for either developers or other SaaS people. Uh, that's, that's what you see a lot, or at least a lot advertised. Um, so we stumbled into an industry that has nothing to do with coding and marketing at all. Um, we stumbled into the event, uh, like event production, uh, video production industry. And um, there, people kind of need to keep time of what's happening, right? So there's this kind of production room uh, where lots of people sit in, in front of big screens and they have to like say, you know, camera one, go here, um, you know, um, interview is taking place in, in two minutes. Uh, this is coming up. So there's a lot of timing stuff happening. And uh, we build a, a countdown timer um, for this purpose. So it, it counts down to these, to these kind of keystones. And so the, these people can say, well, oh, don't want, well, don't want to keep it so long. But th that's essentially what it is. It's, it's really a simple countdown timer. You can say like, you know, two, this is two minutes long. This is 10 seconds long. This is 30 seconds long. Um, but there's a, he a hell lot of a complexity behind it that I had never expected when I started out. <laughs> so if I understand that right, it's basically if I am hosting a conference and I have keynote speakers and they all have like 15 minute slots, basically, then yeah. I can use stagetimer.io to say, hey, keynote speaker, you, you schedule like two minutes for your intro and then 30 minutes for the actual talk and maybe like a plus two for like buffer in the end. And that's basically then I would use stage timer to let guide them through that and I would con control that or how, how would that work? Right. So you sit in the control room, you have like this overview with the list and, and click start stop. And then you would, you get a link that the person sees in front of them, right? It's like a browser window that's essentially in front of them on a monitor um, that has the timer very big. So they can glance at it every now and then see how much time they have left. And, you know, if it, like it turns red when it gets close and it, it kind of starts flashing when it's over time. So, so they know where in the talk they are, how much time they've left, uh, even if they just kind of glance in the corner where the, the screen is situated. That makes sense. And you, you mentioned that in, in your intro, that is like not the typical thing like a SaaS founder nowadays does, especially like what you see on Twitter. How did you stumble into that? Like I, that's one of those ideas. Sure, I kind of know that like keynote speakers use timers, but I right. never even thought of like what's, what's behind it basically. So how did you stumble into that? Like, so, so I was in a, in a, in a friend's, like he has a studio where it's like one room recording and one room where he kind of, kind of cutting. And uh, so there's a guy, um, recording like an, an e-learning e course. And, um, before he starts speaking, right, he has to start a time. So he, he runs into this, uh, the, the room with the cameras, clicks, like I have an old laptop there, clicks on start, runs back out and then kind of runs the show from there. Um, it's like everything is remote controlled except for this countdown time, mm. I think. 
And in my in my mind, it's like this is the easiest thing to do, right? Surely there's a tool out there in the internet where you you uh, you know you click start, you get you get a link that you can open on the other side as well, and uh, and it syncs up. Uh, so I looked right there. I was sitting there. I was kind of co-working with him. He invited me. Um, looking through the internet, and I like 15 minutes later, I still didn't find anything that does that. Like, okay, if, if it takes 15 minutes to search for a solution on Google, it, it's like there's a there's an opportunity here. Um, but still, at this point, I thought like countdown timer, like. It's not a market, right? I have never done SaaS before. And I had in my mind already, I wanted to do that. I wanted to create my own SaaS product. Uh, I had been working as a freelancer in development. And I thought, you know what? This might be a very interesting just test case. Just trying it out. It's so, it's so simple. Counter time was so simple. You know, everybody can do it. I can. I whipped it up in a weekend um, and, and put it online. And I thought, why don't I just develop this into a SaaS product? To, just to, to learn the role. So how does pricing work? How does this work? And I never thought anything would really come out of it. I never thought people would actually buy it. It was just for me kind of to learn the, the techniques behind it. Um, yeah, so I whipped it up, uh, put it online, put it on Reddit, and, and there was a, uh, more, more response than I thought. So that's how it came to be. Huh. Interesting. So let, let's jump to today. So could, could you give us just like, Basically, an overview of your current scale. Basically, either either MRR if you're open to share, or like number of customers, just so that the we all get like a, a feel for where you're at today. Yeah, so we are um, at around like eight thousand uh, MRR. MRR doesn't say, give the whole story for us because we also have like one-time purchases that are only a limited amount of time, and we are around like. Like lifetime customers, a thousand five hundred plus minus. Interesting. And you started roughly two and a half years ago, right? Or when did you start yeah. the the whole project? Yeah, we were like what I just told you was like two and a half years ago, and then it took me another like it was just free on the internet, and then it took me another five to six months to to set up like a pro feature and and a payment integration because I was still working full time. Yeah. And I would love to double click on the pricing because you mentioned the the one time purchase, which is like super unusual for, for a SaaS, yeah. of course. But I I would guess it's highly industry specific due to what you do, and pricing is always like a massive issue. So really hard. How did really like hard. I, the thing I uh, would like to dig into is what pricing did you start with, and when right. or how did you learn? Then we need one time purchases. We can't do all subscription. So, like, as every kind of good SaaS founder, you start with the uh, $7 price, right? Like, the seven, <laughs> eight, like everybody starts with that, like, 5 to $7, everyone does that. So, we did that as well, $7 per month, uh, plus a yearly plan that's a bit uh, cheaper. Um, and so, people kept, after a few months, people just kept ca uh, churning and canceling our, our subscriptions, all, like, really high churn rates, 20%. So this is like, what is going on here? What is going on here? So we started just sending out emails to everybody who who canceled. Hey, like, is something wrong with the with the product? You know, we will give you a refund if something didn't work. Um, and that that worked wonders. Almost everybody answered and told us like, no, no, your product is great. It did exactly what it's supposed to do. But I don't have a show for another four months, right? And we are like, okay, so people are like they buy it for a show. You know, prepare it, run it, and then cancel. 
because they only need it for this limited amount of time. So we, we said, why don't we give them an option to just purchase like a 10-day a license uh, that is just a little bit cheaper than the monthly price and um, kind of, you know, the incentive to, to get it. And then we don't have churn because they just, just do that. And in fact, churn did did go down once we uh, hmm. introduced that. And a lot of people people use it. That's why our price is much higher. Uh, because we, uh, like kind of almost 50% of people use this one-time license. Uh, some even going as far as purchasing like three of them per month. Uh, and the reason for that is, is, is so interesting. Um, they, of course, are also freelancers working for some event, some show, some, some bigger client. So they just put stuff on the expense account. So when they have a, a subscription, they have to kind of like, like, like divide it up for everybody. Uh, but if they have a one-time purchase, they just purchase it, you know, one invoice, put it on the expense account. Very easy for them. So great for us. Makes sense. I mean, understanding the like the buying behavior is super critical because in the end, yeah. if you if you cater to that, it's like half the battle won, basically. Um, and th th then one interesting thing I found stalking you before this podcast is basically uh, I just put stage time on Ahrefs because you're also sharing a lot of things in public. So I knew that you were doing yeah. SEO um, and you went from basically zero in April, yeah. 2022 to over 10K organics in like basically 12 months later. How did you do that? Is that good? Is that, is that good? You sound surprised. I think it's, I think it's, ve <laughs> I think it's very solid. Like from zero to over 10K, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, sound like shady. I like never done this before, so I have no comparison. You know, I like, is this good? I don't know. Maybe it's bad. Um, <laughs> how, do, how did we do it? Um, so when I started SEO, right, you, you, do the, you do keyword research. So I've never done that before. So I look keyword research. Okay, you're good. Like the Google Ads platform gives you kind of this free tool. So I put in like all the keywords I could think of, you know, um, event timer, uh, video production timer, and, and it's just zero, zeros everywhere. It's like there's no search volume for none of these things. Like these, the industry is just very small uh, compared to maybe like a marketing industry, right? Like, like a typical, it's just like, it's, it's, big, it's big, but it's also small. Um, so that search volume is like in the low hundreds, um, very, very calm, very, very timid search volume. And we are thinking, what do we do? Well, I mean, we just have to start. So we, we, we started targeting these like very low volume keywords that fit best into our, um, our niche. And what we observed is that because nobody else was targeting these keywords and they actually had a, a lot of buying intent. So there was a, a lot of like bottom, you know, you speak top of funnel, bottom of funnel, top of funnel is like, you know, just get people on your page and they will find it later. And to, bottom of funnel is like a person who wants to have the tool that you offer. And there was almost no competition on these keywords. Um, so we said, okay, let's, let's try to target them first. And uh, it, it worked much better than, than I expected. Even though when you do keyword research, it was still like very low volume. But in reality, there was more people coming through them than was shown in the uh, keyword tools. Got it. And then in the in the actual, like how you did that, did you just like write articles yourself? Did you work with an agency? So how did you, like after you noticed, okay, there's low volume keywords, which are like very valuable to us. Like how did you execute on writing those articles, spinning those pages up? Because in the end, 
you're only you and your your wife so far in the company, right? Which is also an interesting fact. But let's let's go there later, maybe. So so how did you execute on that? So we did a mix, uh, writing our own content. We did hire an agency to write a few articles for us. Um, and then we looked at these articles and thought they are really trash because, you know, as a developer, you, you, you look at SEO articles and you think this is trash. Like nobody will ever read this. We still put it on our page. Turns out they were not, they were really good. Even though I still think the article quality is really low. I don't know. <laughs> as SEO, so it doesn't go into my mind sometimes. Um, and then well, mostly we wrote it ourselves. And then, um, and then we also, you know, like kind of in the back of our mind, oh, we need some, um, links from third parties. Um, and fortunately enough, in our industry, there's a lot of word of mouth. So people do talk about our tool. And then we went to the to kind of typical places, uh, product hunt and stuff, where we then kind of place strategic links in. I guess that helped. This episode is brought to you by ReactSquad.io, the boutique React agency for SaaS startups. If your front-end team is overwhelmed and you need more hands on deck, go to reactsquad.io and get a React.js developer embedded in your team in less than seven days. Then besides SEO, what else did you do in terms of growth to, to get to the, this like 8K MRR run runway? Right. Um, so when you look at where do people, we, we ask people, where do you come from? After they purchase, we kind of ask, hey, well, how did you find us? And um, 50% is Google. And then another 30%, like 35, 40% almost, is word of mouth. So people just sharing our tool, finding it good, sharing it with others is almost half the cake. Uh, and then we said, okay, if Google works so well, let's do some search ads. Um, we tried ads with Facebook already, didn't work as, as well. Uh, and then and then my wife got all into search ads and I learned the ins and outs. And that's how we get a lot of traffic as well. Yeah, so you were able to basically make Google ads uh, ROI positive because I heard from a lot of people in the, like it's getting more and more yeah. expensive as everything today, but you were basically able to crack the code for you and make sure that if you put like 10 bucks in that you get ideally 11 or more out. Yeah, so... Um, first of all, again, like there was almost no competition on our keywords. Like there's kind of one competitor that we have, and he doesn't even do a good job with, with SEO and marketing. So we couldn't, look, usually you, you go to the competitor, put in the, put in the website and see what they rank for. Turns out they just don't rank for anything, uh, valuable. So we had to come up with that one. Um, and then, yeah, we were ROI positive. I think we did have like 200%. Uh, return on investment from ads in the beginning last month was was lower but uh, depends how you calculate right and you just like calculations with uh, lifetime value and do you like your immediate returns or do you just calculate like okay i calculate three months of this customer being with me um so if you calculate a bit more generously um we we are very ROI positive yeah and then what's your current plan to get to First, like the 10K MRR and then 20K MRR. Do you think like SEO and Google Ads will scale? Because I guess word of mouth will grow with more customers. But I mean, that's kind of a thing you, besides building an amazing product, there's not too much you can do there. So how do you think about that? Like basically like scaling, so to say, those marketing channels? Because there's like not infinite 
uh, people searching things, especially in such a niche? Yeah, so I would I would love to give you the perfect answer here, but uh, it's it's this big question mark in my mind. Let's let's, can, let's do the truth like, because like being a founder is is like a weird journey where you don't have a clue what you do, anyways. So let, let's no. go for the truth, not for the PR version. No, no, let's bounce. I, I actually would because you are in this niche. I would love to bounce it back and forth with you a bit, just to understand. Like so. And one thing is, of course, Google Ads, right? You can scale them. You can say, let's put more money into them. But if I understand correctly, eventually they, the return on investment will lower. And it's like there's kind of a saturation that you reach, um, like where the pond is empty, right? Fish are all satisfied. So, so, so what do you do? Like, what would you do in our shoes? I mean, first of all, like no, no marketing expert here, but what we do right now, so the thing we, we're actively still trying to grow is uh, the agency part of our business, React Squad. And we, we basically, um, I, I'm not sure, I, somewhere on Twitter I found um, a book recommendation for, like I'm stuck on the name. Uh, I think it's like Gale, but I, I will link it below. I have no clue what, what the name is, but it's basically using a bullseye framework where like in the outer ring, it's like all marketing things you can do event, like conferences, word of mouth, cold calling, all of them. And then there's the middle ring, which is basically the gut feeling of, okay, for my product and my market, what could potentially work, like what's working for others. And mm -hmm. then there's like the bullseye, the thing in the middle, what is currently working and double, love doubling down on that. So what historically always worked for the agency, which I guess for most agencies is truth, uh, just like meeting people, networking, going to conferences. So we said, okay, let's double down on that with like eight, 50 to 80% of, of uh, like basically the energy we have or like that's more like time basically. And then we, we had a couple of things like in the middle ring where we think, okay, that might work. So we're currently testing those out. But again, like I, I like, and the goal is basically to take something from the middle ring to make it work, get it into the inner ring, do that until it like right. caps out basically, and then try to search for new stuff. Um, so we're currently basically trying to see until like the end of the year, did we cap out networking, which is like kind of a random thing anyway, because it's just like meeting people and then they DM you a year, year later when they need a developer, but that's, that's how we go for it. But even like for the, for the SaaS, uh, tool we're building, we basically just decide, okay, let's start with one specific growth channel. So we're right now for the, the SaaS tool we're building, just go for SEO, just we'll see, okay how far will SEO get us? And then if it doesn't work, what's the next thing so that we just go sequentially through things? Because in the end, as a small team, there's not too much you can do anyway in parallel. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what, what we did as like also people that don't know marketing, we just threw the kitchen, uh, the kitchen sink at the wall, right? That's like every, like <laughs> just everything. So, so we did uh, like, we went to a trade show. Um, we try to contact YouTubers. We try to contact podcasts. We try to contact print, uh, print magazines to, to put our, our, our thing in. And, um, the return, like, turns out pretty much super expensive. YouTubers, in our, so funny in our space, YouTubers like, no, we don't do market, like, we don't do, we don't do feature channels. We don't, we don't do that. We keep our, because they are all obsessed with production value. Their production value, like they have, they have 50 followers. They have like a hundred viewers. Their production value is through the roof. It's crazy. So there are some people that just made, uh, like videos about us. We didn't ask them. They just, Hey, this is a new tool. Let's make a video that these videos, they're top notch. You know, like 
great value, great uh, quality. It's just there for free. And it's like, can you put it on our website? Yeah, sure. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's so I funny. guess free, free marketing is nothing one should complain about. So good no, job no, there. No. <laughs> so so what, what, what did we end up with? We ended up with um, Google Ads work. So we scaled this until it saturates. Um, SEO works. And what we observed in our case is that technical, like very deep technical content actually performs very well. You know, hmm. usually you have these kind of typical five, you know, five things to do, five uh uh, apps to 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 use blah blah like kind of su superficial almost uh, articles. In our case, like the documentation pages that almost pr uh, perform better in the long run than the articles. So we really want to double down on on like good documentation, like how to use X with X tool, right? How to use this tool that you already have with our tool. How to use this kind of hardware device that you already have with our tool and integrate it into your workflow. Um, so this is. It doesn't have as much search volume as like these kind of shiny articles, but there's a lot of um, people that find this and, and use our tool right away. So there's kind of like almost bottom of the funnel uh, content. Um, and I think as long as we don't run out of those, it, it's, it's worth to invest the time. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then I would like to switch gears a bit because you're doing two, at least to me, super interesting things. First off, you decided to build in public. So if one goes to your Twitter feed, it's like great insight, like really like actual things that one goes through day to day and not just like the hurrah, we, we, here's another win of us, of ours basically. Yeah. And the second is like that you, you do the company with your wife. But let's, which I also find super interesting. Uh, so let, but let's start with what, like, why did you decide to build in public? Was it like a, do you think I as office as like a marketing stunt? to get customers, which is like super valid or like, just like, did you to the urge to like write and share? Like what, what made you do that? Because you're, you're very open to an extent where I would maybe even think, oh damn, if our competitor is still stupid right now, maybe I make him smart and he will be, be a harder, <laughs> be harder competition. So like what, what went into that? Yeah. So, um, like the truth is. I just did it because everybody else did it. And I saw people on Twitter doing it. It's like, okay, that's, that's how you do it. I will do it. And then retroactively, as one does, I, I um, found a reason. <laughs> so the, the <laughs> uh, in our cases, it's not as critical because, as I said, our comp like we have one real competitor. And it's not like it's on a different level. So it's, it doesn't matter that much for us. Um, and the other thing is I kind of like the kind of feedback loop that you get from building public. So I don't share as much, like, here's my uh, my uh, revenue every month, like, oh, it goes up, goes up, goes up. No, I, I like to share more, like, oh, here's a like a thing that, that I tried out the last month, and, and here's how it worked, how it did not work out, here's a challenge that I tried to overcome. So both technical and marketing and just business-related. Um, and I like the feedback loop that you get with other founders. Um, I, I've talked to, to many of them, and it's... It's really cool to have other founders that you can talk to and then they go through the same problems and then you can share it and say, okay, this is a problem that everybody else also has, or this is a problem that only I have. Hmm. And I saw this whole stage timer thing, as I said, as a test, just to get into it. It's more successful than I ever thought it would be. Um, and I definitely have the plan to do like a next project, right? I, I, I believe stage will be like finished, quote unquote, soon. 
and it will have its steady growth and there will not be as much that we can do about it. And I don't want to have um, VC investment, but I maybe want to have a next project that does have all these things uh, where I do not share in public um, because sharing in public also has its uh, drawbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And then how did you come to work with your with your wife as you call them because there's like a lot of things you hear like never work with your spouse never yeah. even, like some people say don't even work with friends um, and then for me my, my girlfriend is a nurse and sometimes i basically get on her nerves by just telling her about business stuff so i sometimes think like i romanticize working with my partner maybe so like <laughs> what, what's the how did you get there and what is it like if it like is not too private what what it's, is it like to work with your spouse because in the end you you still need to have like a private life and can't talk business all day so i I, yeah. i think that could also be a hard separation to make that yeah um it, yeah so i let me not in case she listens let me not <laughs> say anything no, no. no it's all fine um so uh, i did i made uh experience with bad founders before where we you know we came together we were kind of friends and then it didn't work out and everything turned sour um, so that, that is a thing that happens. And I also currently have a, have a co-founder for a new project who is a friend and it works really well. So, so it's really good to have like a test period with people to see how good you work together. Uh, what we did with a new one, we did like a fun project. We said, we do a fun project, no stakes, like just fun, see how it goes. And it, it went well. So this kind of beta testing your founder is really a good idea. Um, so with your your spouse, you have the advantage that you already better kind of better tested it, right? Like you have been together for a while, so you know how the other person ticks. And uh, my wife was in the education area active, um, and then she said, "I'm kind of tired of it. I don't want to teach people anymore that don't want to learn." Um, uh, and so I said, "You know what? If you're willing to learn something new." why don't you work with me for a while and do marketing and customer support for stage term? And she was really excited to kind of switch gears, learn something new. She, she's really good in self-teaching, so she learned really well and does a really good job with it. Um, and it has been, I would say it has been working out better than I expected. Like, yeah, you, you have these things, oh, it, You know how, how is your private life and so so on we do talk business we probably should talk i have like more structured meetings as you would have with co-founders this, this is you know our kind of stand-up time this is our meeting time we don't really have that because we're always together so it almost we almost sometimes miss out on talking about the next steps part the like the big picture part we are constantly in details because you know we walk outside And we think, oh, what, you know, like this detail and this detail and that detail. And, and we lose sometimes the big picture. Um, that's, that's a bit hard, I find. But then on the other hand, it's, it's really fun because you have more conversational topics, right? Besides like what you talk in private about the movies you're watching or whatever. Um, we have this thing that when we walk outside and we see some kind of interesting business, we think, okay, how do they make money? How would we scale that? Uh, how would we make this better? Uh, and because we now both have kind of the same background uh, with the SaaS product, um, it is really interesting to talk about these business-related things, which sometimes you cannot do if maybe your wife is, is a nurse. Maybe it's it's kind of hard to talk about big-picture business decisions 
because they're not they're just not interested in it which is fine uh, but it, it is fun if if both have the same interest it makes sense yeah that, that's really super interesting um and then then you slightly mentioned as basically like twice already like first of all that you sometimes miss talking about the big uh, big vision but also that you think that stage timer will have a time when it ends not ends for the customer but ends for you as the developer or like basically kind of cto driving it forward so what's yeah. your current vision for the company or for the like talking about the product stage timer meaning like where where you want to go not only product wise but also do you want to bring in someone to run it or like how do you how do you plan with with the long term basically right now yeah so it's 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 a question that I ask myself often. Right now, it's my wife, and I have like a part-time uh, freelancer that helps me with coding. And I'd say finish because just from a product idea, mm -hmm. right? It is a small scope. It is a countdown timer. You can you know have like presets and and you can switch between them, um, and then you can do a bit of styling. But that's pretty much it. And I didn't want to explode the scope because often with products. <clears throat> They get successful, then they add more and more features that people request, and then they become complicated, and then they get superseded by the next one. And I wanted to avoid that, so I said, this is my scope, and I stay in it. What, what fits in the scope, I will implement, and what falls outside the scope, I will not implement. Um, and um, that's why I say there's a stage when it is quote-unquote finished, because every extra feature I could add adds like no real marginal value and just makes the interface more complex, which I don't want. So that I, uh, I think it can actually just be run by us on the, on the site, like just kind of keeping an eye on it, make sure it's running. Maybe have a freelancer that, that, that is also responsible in case the server goes down to, to bring it back up. Um, but I think that's pretty much it um, when it comes to that product. So, but... Of course, through it, I learned a lot about the industry. I learned what they need. I learned like things that are very similar to, to the tool that I'm building right now, uh, things that fall outside my scope that are pretty important for the people. Um, so right now, I'm working with two other uh, friends uh, slash co-founders on a very new project that's similar to Stage Timer, but has this kind of expanded scope uh, that it can work with more like high class, more prosumer and um, kind of broadcast in the broadcasting world where you just need kind of a higher level of tech. Um, Interesting. So, so that's, then that's when, my when, idea, that, right? when that's what so when that's live, we, we need to record another one and dig into that too. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Awesome. Then the, the last one, just because what yeah. I also want like try to achieve with, with this like yeah, podcast or show basically is also to, to say like to show the honest side because in the end like there's a lot of podcasts out there which took like this talk like the superficial PR version everything is the rosy everything is perfect but in the end being a founder sure it's fun it's freedom but it's also there's downside so yeah like what is like a war story that you live through meaning just like a challenge it can doesn't need even need to be a business challenge but could it even be you were just in a slop for a time or whatever? Like, what was something that you didn't expect that you need to go through? And like, just what I would love to hear the, the, the story about that. Yeah, I think so. Like a big picture, honest thing that every founder encounters is that whatever product they go into, 
if they like it, not like, you know, it, it, it may be selling Barbies or like doing whatever, a, a server hosting environment, whatever they're passionate about. In the end, it's almost always about marketing, how to get users, how to get customers, how to grow your business. And that's hard. And it's, it's a relearning for everybody. But this is a big picture. You just go through it every day. Um, one like, would say a hard, hard thing that I had was with these co-founders that I had before, when it kind of went sour and broke apart, it's very hard to kind of break apart a business. And, and because you still have to agree, everybody has to agree that, um, okay, we have to dissolve it now. What do we do with the, with the money that's left? Or what do we do with the maybe debt that's left? How do we resolve that? Um, and uh, usually when you do it the first time, you didn't know about taxes. You didn't know about the, you know, writing things down, making contracts about everything. So there's not much written. So you have to do er like you have to find the agreements after it went sour, which is really hard. Uh, you do want when when you go into a partnership, you do want to agree beforehand how it turns out if you decide to stop it. Right? How do you dissolve it? You should agree to that before you start it. And. Uh, <clears throat> Also, you should know how taxes work. And I feel like there's not enough talk about how SaaS companies get taxed and how to, to work with that. Um, so we had this problem that not only did it turn sour, but also we had a bad uh, accountant that eventually ghosted us. And then we hadn't made a didn't have the taxes made for the last two years. And then we had like, then it kind of fell on me to this burden to find an accountant and do this retroactively. And this was the, probably the hardest time. Like this was a really hard one, two years of my life, still, still resolving part of it. And um, it brings you into like these depression and almost suicidal thoughts territories. Um, and often you see founders that are successful, like look at them, you know, having this amazing business. Uh, you see it on Twitter, people build in public. But if you dig in, and I've talked to some of them in private, um, many of them have stories like this. <clears throat> many of them have stories like five years ago, I was in this really bad place because when I started, I made these mistakes. Um, so you start and start, you know, you can never start early enough, but you will make mistakes and they will be hard. And I think it's just good to know that all other founders had you no know, equally maybe not the same, but equally difficult mistakes that they went through and had to resolve. Amen. Yep. Can, can totally uh, understand that. And did, did you do anything specific to like get through it besides basically just like keeping the eyes closed and keeping walking, like anything specific you did that, that, that helped you get out of that state or? Um, I think taking responsibility, it, it sounds, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's something, it's very hard to learn when you grow up. Like the school doesn't really teach you how to take responsibility in life because it just teaches you to be a good employee. And then you get, you know, all this is taken care of. But once you have to do it at yourself, like, okay, when, when a problem comes, tackle it right away. Like I came to this point where I said, okay, no, like my co-founder said, don't do anything. And I cannot trust him. So I have to do it. Like I have to push through this. And then also in my mind, I just said, okay, just, I'm just switching the switch. It's like, I'm going to push through this. Like I'm, 
there has to be a way out. Like this, the, the option is hope, right? Like kind of like Star Wars rebellion, right? Like without hope, what is a rebellion built on, right? Like so there has to, it has to work. So you you just push through and you take responsibility and you and you tackle these, the hardest thing first and then the next and then the next and then the next, um, and it will also help immensely because you you know you learn a lot of things in the process. Uh, now I know how to handle taxes, right? I know how to like what administrative problems are ahead of a business. So when I create my next one, I know what to look for. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I think that's that's a perfect uh, point to wrap up. Thanks a ton for being so open. Love talking to you. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank, thanks, Nicholas. Uh, love, to, love to talk as well. Hope you stay in contact. I, I will let you know when, I, when the next thing hits, hits the, the market. <laughs> If you like this episode, you will love our newsletter, The SaaS Operator by Early Note. Get actionable insights from SaaS veterans like Patrick Campbell, Christoph Jans, and Corey Haynes right into your inbox. Your five-minute read every Tuesday for free. Go to elnot.com and subscribe for free.